This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. A job well done starts with great equipment. Butler Farm Equipment. Stop in today and check out their great selection of mowers in stock for spring, including Toro and Gravely mowers. Butler Farm Equipment also has special pricing on twine and net wrap. Get things done this spring with help from Butler Farm Equipment in Fort St. John. Decades of delivering great service in the Peace Country. To learn more about their brands and equipment, find them on Facebook or visit butlerfarmequipment.ca. The opinions expressed during this show do not represent those of this station. If you've missed any of this show, you can follow the podcast at energeticcity.ca. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig, on Moose FM. Welcome to another edition of the show. A little later on, we're going to be joined by Dr. Charles Helm of the Tumblr Ridge Museum Foundation. We'll be talking about the challenges they've faced in getting funding for the museum during its history in light of the nearly $800 million commitment the provincial government has made to rebuild the Royal BC Museum in Victoria. But first, a new archaeological dig has started at the Sequa Cave. So to talk a bit about that and the future of the site, we're joined now by Sequa Heritage Society Executive Director Alyssa Curry. Alyssa, welcome back to Moose Talks. Thank you so much for having me on. It's nice to meet you in person for the first time. <laughs> uh, so tell us a bit about what's happening at the site and what's been happening at the site recently, kind of since spring started. Yeah, so we have um, started the very first archaeology field school happening this year with UNBC, the University of Northern British Columbia. And the field school is part of a five-year opportunity partnership between uh, Sequa Heritage Society, UNBC, and SFU. But for this year, um, we have, for the last three and a half weeks, been conducting archaeological excavations at the Sequa National Historic Site and having our learners, both university students and Indigenous community members, come together to learn hands-on archaeology at the site on the territory. Wow, that's very cool. So it's both a learning opportunity for everybody and you're kind of practic- you're doing something practical as well with the excavation. It's in a different spot than sort of the previous excavations have happened, right? Yes. So the excavations that were done at the site in the 70s, 80s, and 90s were all focused uh, primarily in the area directly in front of the cave. Mm-hmm. And what most people don't realize is that the Sequoia Heritage Society actually owns a five-acre parcel of land that contains the cave. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done this year is we've focused the majority of our excavating um, up behind the facility, behind the house that everyone sees. Mm -hmm. And the rationale for that is that it's going to give us a better idea of the the greater context of the cave site, Um, but it's also something that's in line with the Indigenous oral histories that indicate that as a more likely site for camping and for longer-term stays than simply visiting the cave i see so essentially those oral hit that oral history tipped you off that perhaps there's 
something worth uh, kind of discovering up at the top there then. Yes, absolutely. The oral histories tipped us off and the shovel testing that we conducted during the first week of digging uh, really confirmed that hypothesis for us. We've been very successful, I think, so far in in the research that we've done. Okay. Now you said uh, you think there's, it's likely there's been camping and campsites that were kind of up there. Do you expect to find similar things that you found kind of in front of and in the cave or will they be different in some way? So they will actually be different. Um, one of the things that we've been finding a lot of that we expected to find some of, but we've been pleasantly surprised by the volume that we've found are uh, artifact flakes. Okay. So these are um, very small artifacts that are created in the process of creating a stone tool. Mm-hmm. So you start out with a, a core or a large rock and you hit that rock repeatedly, breaking off small flakes until you're eventually left with a stone tool. So the presence of flakes and the the abundance of flakes that we're finding suggests that over time, many people have sat and taken the time to create a stone tool at that site. And that's different from the cave site where most of the material that they found were intact artifacts. Mm-hmm. but less flakes, which means that the items might have been used or deposited there, but not necessarily created there. Okay. And can you tell just kind of from the flakes themselves what was likely made, or do you have to sort of say, well, we found the items that had to be made at some point. They were likely made up here, and these flakes are what they were made from. So it's a little bit like a puzzle Mm -hmm. um, and piecing together um, a a lot of information. So we have found some artifacts alongside the flakes um, that will help us to contextualize those items. But the joy of, of archaeology is that you really have to take all of the material in the context of itself. And that's why for us, the process relative to, for example, Uh, resource management archaeology has been very slow going. It's a very patient process of documenting everything that we find so that in future years we can piece that together and create a greater picture of the site. Okay, very interesting. Um, Then I suppose, you know, kind of moving on from this dig, which I I think is like six weeks, I think you said, right? Um, What kind of happens next after that? Because, of course, uh, you know, about a month ago uh, when the uh, northern government, uh, I'm I'm forgetting the name (laughs) of it, when they were here, you guys did a tour. There were some announcements made uh, or or sort of talk about kind of what's going to be happening with the site kind of beyond this uh, dig here. What's next after that? What's sort of the next thing that's going to happen after you you find something, hopefully? Well, um, in the shorter term, relatively speaking, uh, we... We have a five-year archaeology permit from the archaeology branch, and like I said, that is a a partnership between both UNBC and Simon Fraser University, and our plan is that we will alternate field seasons, aka summers, um, with a field school this year Mm -hmm. um, that's championed by UNBC and Dr. Farid Ramtula. And then next year is when we have our research season where we're working with Dr. Mike Richards from SFU and their laboratory team to do things like radiocarbon dating and um, describing and curating those artifacts so that each year we kind of reevaluate the material that was found the year before. And so that's part of a broader plan for us to expand the site both 
as a tourist destination that the public can come and learn about the archaeology and the Deneza history and how they can work together, um, but also an educational hub. It's really critical to the Saquon mission that this is a site where we can not only celebrate the heritage, but also educate people on it. And this is you know, one opportunity, we hope, that will allow us to kind of get the ball rolling mm-hmm. with other educational projects and hopefully you know, catch some momentum with our, our funders and our interested community members. I see. Now, I also know we uh, did a story recently uh, where you had um, consultations might not be the right word, but you were sort of talking in a way with, uh, I believe, some kind of accessibility experts or, yes. or advocates um, on what you can do to make the site more accessible. Now, I mean, I've been down to the caves. It can be kind of slippery getting down to the actual cave itself. Is that sort of one of the things you're considering? How can we make this safer and easier for people to even kind of get down to the cave and have a look and and get up kind of to the area where everything is? Yeah, so one of the things that we identified during our accessibility assessment, that was with Spinal Cord Injury BC, was that we can essentially establish different levels of priority for accessibility. something they identified for us that you know entrances and bathrooms are the two biggest challenges of accessibility Mm -hmm. and so those are where we're focusing our immediate attention but we do also have plans to expand the interpretive trails to be more accessible Uh, we just recently met with the team from um, CASA which is the Kootenai Adaptive Sport Association and Inclusive by Design and they were actually able to go down the trails with us and to talk about some of the challenges that we might have with accessibility to figure out where within our current uh, grant allotments we can can get. And so this year we we think we'll be expanding our interpretive trails to be accessible all the way down to the Quaza, the old camp, which is our interpretive camp, and certainly to the area around the where the current excavations are happening around the back of the house. Uh, Our longer term plans are to make the cave itself more accessible. Uh, the feedback that we've got so far is that it would be very challenging to make it universally accessible. But there is some interesting ways that we can use technology and um, digital mediums to kind of embrace a, an alternate form of accessibility. And that's something that we're looking at right now and we're really, really hopeful about. Yeah, because I suppose the challenge is preserving the site while making accessible because you don't want to just blow rock out of the way to make staircases. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, people are hearing about this stake right now. Maybe they're sort of interested in what it means, what it's happening. Is this something people in the public can see and sort of kind of be a part of in some way? Or is this happening and then later this summer we're kind of... Yeah, so there are going to be other opportunities beyond the field school itself. Like I said, this is a five-year permit. And so for the time being, we're trying to focus on having our students and having the archaeology site as safe and effective as possible. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if people want to, to stop by, we do ask just that you phone. But this isn't going to be the only chance. Yeah. And so there are going to be opportunities to engage uh, with us and to see some of the material, both that we've been excavating and also that we've been creating. Our students tried their hand at flint napping, creating their own stone tools. So I would just say to, to follow uh, the story, follow Moose FM for more updates. And uh, we're hoping that there will be opportunities later in the summer to actually show off some of the material that we've, we've found. 
Wonderful. I can't wait to hear uh, some of the things you find excellent. Well, Alyssa, I really appreciate you making some time to chat with us today about this. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. That's Alyssa Curry, the Executive Director of the Saqua Heritage Society. We'll be right back to talk with Dr. Charles Helm with the Tumblr Ridge Museum Foundation right after this on Moose Talks. At Tim's, we have a taste for cold, like the new creamy cool Hershey S'mores ice cap with chocolate syrup, graham crumble, and marshmallow whip topping. New Tim's Hershey S'mores ice cap. It's time for Tim's. At participating Tim's restaurants in Canada for a limited time. A rural Albertan with songs everyone knows and loves. Corb Lund will be at the North Peace Cultural Centre September 13th, presented by Moose FM. Tickets for this intimate and acoustic show go on sale today at the North Peace Cultural Center box office. The last time Corb visited Fort St. John, the show sold out. Get your tickets by visiting tickets.npcc.bc.ca or at the Cultural Center box office. Don't miss Corb Lund Live, the acoustic tour. Candu Oil Field Services is a privately owned pipeline and facility installation company in Fort St. John. They strongly believe in executing all their job functions in a safe, cost-effective, timely manner. Candu Oil Field Services is a proud supporter of the oil and gas industry. It's time to get real. Make that for real. Every Friday at your Fort St. John Co-op. On For Real Friday, enjoy a for real shake for just $2.99. Choose from a variety of exciting flavors. Whether you've been wanting to try one or you already love them, Friday is the day to get for real and save a dollar. Just $2.99 each. For Real Friday at the Fort St. John Co-op location at the Gas Bar. You're at home here. Visit fsjcoop.crs. Watch this show live on Facebook or download the podcast at energeticcity.ca. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dub Craig. Now we're going to talk a bit about museum funding, but not about that museum, about the one in Tumblr Ridge. It's been open quite a while. Uh, they've got some very cool stuff in it, but uh, they've had some challenges getting funding from the provincial government. So to talk a bit about that in light of the huge funding announcement that the provincial government made recently uh, to rebuild the Royal Museum, uh, pardon me, the Royal BC Museum, we're joined now by Dr. Charles Hemp of the Tumblr Ridge Museum Foundation. Dr. Helm, welcome back to Moose Talks. Hello, it's good to be back with you. Thank you very much for making some time uh, to, uh, for us today. So before we get your thoughts on uh, what's happening in Victoria, we thought we'd kind of break down for people who don't know how funding kind of works at the Tumblr Ridge Museum. Can you tell us a bit about where you guys get money to operate from and kind of how that's broken down? Right. Well, we're not going to turn any funding opportunities down, and we do our best just to cobble things together. Um, the mainstay really has been District of Tumbler Ridge there almost every year. We're celebrating our 20th uh, anniversary this year, so it's been 20 years, which is, I think, near miraculous that we've actually survived that long and we're mm -hmm. still here. But so the district has been wonderful. Um, our vision early on was to have initial funding from the to have that then matched by the regional district so regional funding and then have that in turn matched by provincial and federal funding and that's what hasn't really happened but the regional district has been fantastic as well uh, supporting us and then obviously you know admissions uh, gift shops those all bring money in 
um, other community groups in Tumbler Ridge, like the Lions Club industry, like the Prairie Crane, um, some of the wind um, companies and the coal mines, and then private foundations um, have been that they recognise the worth of what we're doing, and they've been very generous with giving us funding. So we really just try and cobble this all together and survive year by year. Mm-hmm. Has that funding changed at all kind of uh, over the history of the museum? Or uh, I think you said uh, already you, you kind of had a vision at the start, and that's kind of how it's mostly been other than the province and the federal government kicking in funds. Right. And I, I sort of think I personally was initially maybe a bit naive. I thought if we really did an amazing job, because I know what the, the quality of the material we've got there, not just in Tumbler Ridge, but in the whole Peace region. And I thought if we do it properly, hire paleontologists, work with them, do it on a scientific basis, show everybody what we've got, that there would be some form of buy-in in the long term from the province or federal government. But, um, yeah, that, that's an ongoing challenge. I don't want to say it's never going to It just hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look next door to our neighbours in Alberta. Um, there's two major dinosaur museums there now, of course, the Royal Tyrell uh, Museum in uh, Drumheller, or near Drumheller, I should say, and then uh, the one that opened just uh, in the last 10 years or so, the uh, Philip J. Curry, which is just across the border in Wembley. Now, I obviously don't know for sure how they're funded, um, but, I mean, I wonder how you feel looking at the situation in Alberta, how they've sort of probably been behind those museums in some way or another. And, uh, you, you know, seeing that and saying maybe we could make a model like that and wonder why it hasn't worked out that way for you. Well, you're absolutely right. And Alberta is the easy example because it's just to the east of us. And very clearly they've got a more decentralized model because they've got a very good provincial museum as well to the museums that you've just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And British Columbia quite clearly seems to be more centralized um, in, in Victoria. And we're a long way from Victoria, obviously, and it's a big province. But, you know, we can look... Uh, further east as well. Saskatchewan has got a wonderful model. They've got a very, very good provincial museum. And then they've got a a, a very special site down in the southwest corner of the province um, near East End, where there's the T-Rex Discovery Center with actually a tyrannosaur um, skeletal material from from there. And if we look further east into the mountains, same in New Brunswick, Newfoundland, where you've got buy-in from provincial and federal sources as well. So there, you know, across Canada, there are certainly enough other examples of doing it successfully. And it's, it's just an ongoing challenge to try and do it in, in D.C. But, you know, if we just think what's in the peace region, um, you know, in, in Tumblr Ridge, we've got just about the only Tyrannosaur trackways in the world. We've got a total of seven or eight tracks a little bit of funding, we could see how far those trackways go. Do they extend, you know, do they stop right there? Do they carry on for 100 metres? Who knows? I mean, that would be an absolute global first if we could just, with a little bit of funding, get that done. Not And not far from there, we've got a, a dinosaur bone bed with probably at least six dinosaurs, probably more. Again, a bit of funding and a bit of staffing. That could be quite easily, um, a, you know, taken on giant crocodiles that we spoke about recently, a recent discovery. 
And to the north of Fort St. John, we've got the biggest fossil ever excavated mm -hmm. um, near Pink Mountain, um, a marine reptile. And of note there, there was no one in British Columbia with the capacity or the funding to be able to do it. So it got done by the Royal Tyrrell Museum. And good luck to them. They were able to come in and do it. But it potentially is a bit of a... <laughs> embarrassing for BC that we couldn't do it. And closer to Fort St. John, you've got another six or seven of those in a bone bed, just waiting to be tackled. Um, west of Hudson's Hope, you've got the Six Peaks site with, we think, probably about 10,000 dinosaur footprints. Should be one of the top 10 sites in the whole world. And yet there's no funding to tackle that either properly. So, you know, my impression is that in... Other provinces in Canada, in states in North America, and pretty much elsewhere in the world that I'm aware of, even third world, you know, pretty poor countries, they prioritize this kind of And so I can't think of any other place in the world where there would be such a glut of riches that did not have you know, support from whether it's provincial or federal sources. So we somehow just have to come to terms with the fact that in Canada, this is the way it is, mm -hmm. and in BC, this is the way it is, and how do we tackle it? And I've, over the last 20 years, I've just tried to be vocal about it and say, this is the way it is, but it's not the way it has to be. Heritage is important. We do such a good job in BC in, in celebrating First Nations heritage. I don't think we do as good of a job in celebrating our, our paleontological and fossil heritage. I mean, there's the Burgess Shale down in southeastern BC, world famous it could do with more funding as well. So we have a challenge, let's just put it that way. <laughs> I Then I have to ask you, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we're at the moment we're picking on the NDP government, the current one, because, of course, almost a billion dollars for the museum in Victoria to rebuild. Uh, but uh, as you said, I mean, you've been dealing with this for 20 years. So this is on the B.C. Liberals who have formed government in that time as well. I just wonder if you can say what maybe you've heard from the province in their various iterations and even the federal government as to an explanation as to why this isn't a priority when, as you describe it, we're sitting on a veritable gold mine of paleontol paleontol I'm screwing up of discovery. <laughs> yeah. We've we've got a wonderful MLA in the South Peace, Mike Bernier, and certainly when the BC were in power he was as influential as he possibly could to try and get some funding coming our way. And it wasn't zero. I mean, Mike did his absolute best. You know, for a few years, we got little bits and pieces. And, you know, one's always grateful for everything one gets. And one doesn't want to negate that. But mm -hmm. the, the really, you know, the, the big piece of the pie has not been forthcoming. I've been down there talking to the, the caucus, the provincial caucus, giving them PowerPoints, telling them, what's here and you know they're so appreciative when you talk to people down there they do get it they're very appreciative they say that's and we've got to see what we can possibly do to help you and i don't doubt that they are genuine but it doesn't it has not translated into action and I mean, right now we've got to be so grateful that world bc museum is getting this attention and is going to get this rebuild clearly it's it, this wouldn't happen if it wasn't necessary and it shows that this government obviously cares about heritage and wants to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I would just like to see a more provincial perspective. It's such a big province, and you know, up here, 25% of the 
surface area is east of the Rockies, where we are. And that needs to be recognized in provincial planning for things like this. I'm a heritage person. I'm a museum person. I say if we know where we've come from, we understand better who we are and where we're headed. So one's got to be grateful for the support they're getting. But it would be nice if it was not quite, from my perspective, if it wasn't quite so centralized. Uh, we've got just about a minute uh, left here, uh, Dr. Helm. I wonder if maybe um, if we look at sort of a silver lining of this, because as you said, uh, and, and it's honestly a thought I didn't have about this yet, that the government is clearly um, wants to invest in heritage, as you say, because they're willing to put almost a billion dollars into doing the right thing, as you say. Do you think this might be a moment where you could have your voice heard on this if, if you kind of strike while the iron is hot? I'd love to think so, and not forgetting that in Tumbler Ridge, we've got the Tumbler Ridge UNESCO Global Geopark. So other parts of the world where you've got UNESCO sites, the the government, be it provincial or federal, whatever, they would see the, wow, we've got a UNESCO site. That's telling us it's one of the top places in the world in its category, and that's worthy of support. I mean, the, the differences we could make to tourism and to the long-term future of the peace region just with you know a fraction, and our mayor in Tumblr Ridge has been pretty vocal about this as well. He's come on pretty strong, saying that, that things need to change. But you know we don't know what the future of coal mining or oil and gas or forestry. We just don't know what the future is in the peace region. We hope for the best, but we can't guarantee anything. Whereas this kind of heritage is always going to impress people, and there are just huge economic opportunities if we can translate this into something good. All right. Well, Dr. Helm, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat with us. I know you're you're away at the moment, so I'm, I'm grateful that you were willing to uh, come on and join us. Thank you again, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Warren. That's uh, Dr. Charles Helm with the Tumblr Ridge Museum Foundation. We'll be right back to wrap things up on Moose Talks right after this. A big part of Petron is the guys in our installations department. You might think we just install two-way radios and cell phone boosters. We do install those, and we do a great job. But what you probably didn't know is we also sell and install all types of LED and amber lighting, GPS systems. We are an authorized GeoTab and GeoTrack installer, as well as an exclusive GeoForce partner. Ask us how to track any of your equipment via satellite for just $10 per month. Our name is Petron. Come down and see Cameron and the boys. You'll be impressed with what they can do. Join the team at FSJ Return It. If you're looking for a new and rewarding challenge, FSJ Return It in Fort St. John is now hiring for full-time and part-time positions. They're looking for warehouse and sorting people to join the crew and invite you to drop off your resume in person at 10104 93rd Avenue in Fort St. John to apply. FSJ Return It, now hiring for full-time and part-time positions in warehouse and sorting. For sorting information, please visit returnit.ca. FSJ Return It is open 930 to 530, Monday through Saturday, located on 93rd Avenue in Fort St. John. Get back to work with Job Start Supports from WorkBC. WorkBC may be able to help pay for tickets and workwear to start a new job. Combined with skills training, personal support, and workshops, Job Start Supports from WorkBC can assist you in being successful and finding employment. Plus, all employment services are free. Call 250-787-0024 or drop by the office at 9907-99th Ave for more information. This program is funded by the Government of Canada and the Province of British Columbia. 
Hi, this is Mark Shantz, General Manager of Fort Motors. Are you ready to have some fun? Are you ready to go camping? If that interests you, we're having a three-day trailer sale starting June 2nd to 4th with a great selection of new and pre-owned trailers on the lot and trucks to pull. And don't miss Saturday. We're having our local band Sweetwater playing all afternoon. Local classic car clubs will be here for a show and shine. And there'll be bouncy castles for the kids along with local vendors and food trucks. So come on down to Fort Motors Trailer Sale June 2nd to 4th. Fort St. John, a town of 20,000 with a huge love of music, is hosting the biggest music events in North Peace history. It's our time the Energetic County Fair, a full concert production right in downtown Fort St. John. Don't miss three days with 15 spectacular performances like platinum-selling Canadian rock legend Kim Mitchell, Grammy-nominated country music superstars Emerson Tribe, three-time CCMA Group of the Year, the Washboard Union, Simon Chaos, and many more. Plus, the Mighty Peace Brewing Beer Garden. Lots of great food and craft vendors. It's all happening July 14th to 16th. A historic music festival right in Fort St. John. Tickets are going fast. Get yours now at energeticcountyfair.ca and come feel the energy at the biggest cultural celebration in North Peace, the Energetic County Fair. Are you looking for the right individual to fill your job openings? Become an exhibitor at the Fort St. John Job Fair June 21st at the Pomeroy Hotel and Conference Center. This is an opportunity for you to meet talented local people for your company. To become an exhibitor, visit fsjjobfair.ca or call 250-787-7100. The Fort St. John Job Fair June 21st at the Pomeroy Hotel and Conference Center. Presented by Work BC and Moose FM. Our community first. This is Moose Talks with Dub Craig on Moose FM. For what it's worth, a word I was trying to say was paleontological gold mine. There, try and say that five times fast. Big thanks to our guests, Alyssa Curry and Dr. Charles Helm, for joining us today. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Saqua site, I recommend you check out the energeticcity.ca podcast before the piece. There's an entire episode dedicated to the history of the cave site, as well as other excellent episodes of the show that highlight indigenous voices in the piece you can listen now at energeticcity.ca slash podcast that's our show for today trey lopashinsky is the producer of moose talks i'm dub craig be well join us next friday at 10 a.m for another episode of moose talks a weekly talk show about fort st john and the north peace 100.1 moose Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.